Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Um, this is Kotmatovic with In Liberty and Health. Um, there will be no live show today. Um, it is the Friday before Labor Day, September 1st. Right now as I'm recording this, um, I did a space with Heidi Briones on Twitter, and that will be um, Tuesday's show, or as you're hearing it, today's show. So, um, you know, I uh, hope you enjoy this space. I thought it was a lot of fun. I got to talk about automotive stuff. Um, some men's issues and as well as kind of like what's going on and my thoughts on like the automotive industry going forward. So um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy this one and make sure you go follow her and obviously follow me and hit all the links below for all that good stuff. All right, guys. Thanks. Hello, everybody. This is Unheard Perspectives, episode three with Heidi Briones. I'll be your host today uh, where uh, we examine uh, you know, perspectives that we don't get to hear from, where I give a voice to the voiceless. I'm a content creator, business owner, a former congressional candidate out of Portland, Oregon, and I am concerned about the state of the nation and how tribal we've become. Um, and that's why I decided to create this show to give space to people that frankly, don't get enough space and we don't hear from um, as often as I'd like and as often as I think we should. Um, So today we're going to talk to a blue collar worker who is much more than that, of course, um, but he's going to offer his perspective. Um, We have Kyle Matovic. Hopefully I got that right. Or you can correct me in a minute, Kyle, if that's wrong. But um, my thought on this really is that uh, you know, our country is, in my view, lost um, in a lot of ways, and people are looking for meaning and purpose that many people used to find um, from, you know, their family, um, their job, uh, and, you know, their church, other other traditional kind of fundamental things used to give people purpose and value, and now, you know, people are finding it in other more destructive, less healthy ways. Um, And part of that, I think, has been our move away from manufacturing, um, you know, production and other, you know, blue collar type um, jobs to more knowledge based, um, white collar, if you will, you know, jobs where we sit, you know, at a computer, we sit in an office, um, you know, we whatever, talk to each other, now through zoom and other things and it's only gotten 
more and more, um, you know, we've only become more and more separated um, as, you know, time goes on. And really who built this country and who, you know, gave us prosperity was the blue collar worker who, you know, was out there building the railroads and the actual roads and, um, you know, fixing our cars, um, you know, and doing the real physical labor that needed to get done. And most of that we've outsourced now to other countries, um, including China, of course. Uh, and, you know, that's harmed um, our economy. That's harmed people's sense of purpose um, in many States, there are very little jobs where, you know, we used to have mining work, um, you know, other type of blue collar jobs. And there's still a demand, um, still like a very high demand in many places for, you know, construction workers, electricians, um, auto mechanics. And I would, you know, just love to hear from Kyle, who is, you know, a fourth generation um, auto mechanic, as he calls himself. But he's also much more. He's also a musician. Um, he's also um, a family man, I believe. He's also a podcaster. He's also a fitness uh, dude, I guess. I mean, I, he's kind of like the the blue collar Joe Rogan. That's how I'm going to describe him um, until he gets to describe himself. But um, he reached out to me. I thought he had a perspective that was worth hearing from. Um, I think that we need to give more respect to people that are out there, you know, getting their hands dirty and doing the difficult work um, that needs to be done. I only did um, technically a blue collar job once in my life. I've helped build um, battery modules at Tesla and uh, it was difficult <laughs> and, and I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm a petite individual. So, you know, small hands, uh, you know, short limbs doesn't really work out well for me, but um, it was good. It was good to get out there and get physical and build things, you know, like actually build things with our hands, which is really, I think, the American way. Um, so, yes, I would love to open it up to Kyle to introduce himself, um, what he does, um, possibly correct my pronunciation of his last name. And um, Kyle, please do let everybody know who you are and we'll get into it. Awesome. Uh, does my audio sound OK? Sound good to me, man. Cool, cool. Well, I appreciate you hosting the space. And um, yeah, well, my name is Kyle Matovic. So you did pronounce my name pretty close Matovic. to a uh, correct. Oh, so I appreciate okay. it. All right. The, the, the <laughs> emphasis on the wrong yeah, syllable. Okay, there we go. Got it. Yeah, that's okay. A lot of people get it wrong. Um, and I really can't blame them. So uh, yeah, I am a fourth generation automotive technician. Um, you know, my great great grandfather, my grandfather great-grandfather and my dad have all uh, done it. And, um, you know, I've heard plenty of stories about, uh, you know, back when my family used to own gas stations back in the 50s and 60s, and they were making tons of money back then. And my dad has done pretty well for himself. And then I would like to believe he's a 28-year-old guy. I've done pretty well for myself. So um, I remember being a kid kind of seeing all the different shops that my grandfather had owned. And then eventually when my dad went on to go into business for himself, um, it was really, really interesting to be around that kind of, you know, people and seeing all the people that knew my grandfather and maybe even his dad and then my dad and now they knew me and um it, it's there's something very interesting about going into work for my dad which i did for a period of time but i don't currently um and seeing somebody who's been you know three generations with my family saying hey i remember your grandfather when he was this big you know your dad when he was this big and i remember you when you were this big and you know just hearing the stories of people who've been coming to my family for over 50 years. So there's quite a strong lineage there, but um, we're all out of Southwestern Pennsylvania. 
And, uh, you know, this is kind of like the Rust Belt, um, about an hour north of Pittsburgh. And we've all kind of been General Motors guys. So my dad had worked for General Motors for about 10 years and always drove General Motors vehicles. I've been with GM for close to 10 years. And my grandfather owned 14 Corvettes throughout his lifetime. So that's kind of always been our dig. So um, GM always being kind of ahead of the curve, um, they're starting to come out with a lot more of the electric vehicles. I've been through all the training for that. And, um, you know, I was also able to kind of see the way they shifted over the kind of refrigerant that we use currently with... um, vehicles. So uh, if anyone in the uh, space is familiar, there used to be a refrigerant, refrigerant called R12 back in like the 90s, and they changed it to R134, and now they changed it to 1234YF. And the reason why they did this is because um, the global warming potential rating of all these different refrigerants was um, you know, significantly less and less over time. And what they also found is that when you leave a vehicle sitting like a room for the period of like 24 to 36 hours, that there's actually emissions that come off of like the different plastic and stuff like that so that's why you don't get like the new car smell um but i kind of saw the way that my dad did things and the way that a lot of my coworkers did things and i was determined that i should probably follow a similar path and that path was to go to school and then get all my certifications what's called the automotive service excellence certifications through a, a third party and then um go on to you know choose manufacturer and work for that manufacturer and that manufacturer stuff and to be gm and uh kind of went through all their stuff and got master certified pretty much through them. And uh, I had most of this done by the time I was about 27. I'm 28 now, but I had the master certified technician through ASE by the time I was 21 and then eventually reached um, master certified through GM within the last six months. Um, actually, no, almost a year now. I can't believe it. <laughs> but yeah, I went to Detroit to go learn about hybrid vehicles. But uh, yeah, I started off at a uh, dealership in southwestern, southwestern Pennsylvania, a small town called Trenum, um, working um, for minimum wage. And really, I kind of plant that as uh, something I'm very, very grateful for because the experience that I got, um, not that making minimum wage is good at all or that you know anybody should be fixing cars for minimum wage, but what it gave me um, grace for is that the wages I would eventually make, I'd be a lot more grateful and I'd be a lot more disciplined as a worker. And um, I'm sure that everybody knows in our current economy, everyone kind of just shows up and does what they want or they're working the gig economy. Not many people really work jobs like mine where even like a lot of the kids I went to college with um, aren't necessarily in the field anymore. So out of 125 students, I did graduate at the top of my class as the most certified, most recognized student with a 94% average and only missed half a day. But, you know, I, I realized when I was in college, it wasn't time to piss around. It was time to, you know, put my time in, do some work, and then hopefully get out on the other side a little bit better than I went in. And uh, that definitely did that for me. But I see all sorts of people I graduated with kind of moving on to the gig economy, which kind of what a lot of people do now. But, you know, this kind of work is honest. It's brutal. And uh, it's not always the most rewarding, but there is something nice about being able to find a vehicle that's severely broken sometimes and then return to a customer and then knowing that the customer is going to be able to get to wherever they need to go safely and that you were the one that kind of got to make that you know happen for them yeah absolutely well thanks for for sharing that um your story and how you got you know started and all that um and like as far as right now um do you do you find that it's hard to find, you know, people like, um, you know, at your job? Like, do you feel like you have pretty secure, you know, job at this point because nobody's really going into it? Or what are your thoughts around that? Like, is it, is it still an in-demand profession? 
Yeah, I would definitely say so. And it's really, really interesting because there's a lot of older people going out. But there's not all the younger people coming in. Um, and like I said, I graduated with 125 people at my college. And I also went to a tech school when I was in high school. And there were definitely a lot of kids going in. But I don't think a lot of those kids make it into the dealerships or make it into the independence. Um, I think a lot of those guys just kind of go in as something to do and then come out and go do whatever, they, whatever they're going to do anyways. Okay. So... Um, there's definitely not a lot of people going in and usually what happens is that the old guys and usually anywhere from the age of, I would say maybe 45 to like 65, um, as soon as they get injured, it's like <laughs> you, you see them one last time and then, you know, their toolbox stays there for a couple months. And next thing you know, their toolbox is getting wheeled out on a uh, flatbed. And then eventually, you know, usually months and months, maybe even years later, um, a younger guy comes in to take his place who isn't nearly as skilled. And uh, yeah, I mean, even the kids that are coming in still really don't have the same discipline that I was very, very fortunate to get back in <laughs> 2013, which seems like yesterday to me. But um, yeah, I I feel like a lot of people could probably use a little bit of the metaphorical kick in the teeth to um, kind of get themselves disciplined to do this kind of work because you're not paid by the hour. So um, the way that I believe automotive technicians are the only one that still get paid this way, but it's called a flat rate. So basically where whatever you quote to a customer or whatever, you know, your manufacturer or third party um, company dictates is the time that you get paid to fix something is what you get paid. So um, let's say if you're changing brakes on a vehicle and it was quoted to the customer at two hours, whether you take an hour or three hours, you still get paid that two hours. So um, sometimes it works out well for you know the tech, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it's really up in the air. Now, there are some days where you know you get a ton of cars and that may seem good, but maybe the cars, you just order parts or something like that. So you only get paid maybe the diagnosis time or if it's warranty, you don't get diagnosis time. So the vehicle leaves, you don't get paid. And then when it comes back, you get paid for the repair. But um, it's it's not always easy. There are some days where well, some pays over the course of two weeks where I've been at the shop for maybe 100 hours plus and I'll walk home with a 60 hour check. But then there are other times where I've been, you know, at my shop maybe for, you know, 50 or 60 hours throughout the pay because I had a couple of days off. And then I walked home with maybe 120 hours. Um, there's just no way of knowing what's going to come through the door that day. And that kind of keeps it fresh. But at the same time, <laughs> it is kind of frustrating when you realize that you may be, um, you know, struggling at times and then other times times are great and then you're not worried about it at all so um it, it is a difficult field to get into and um my old instructors always used to put to me this way that uh cars keep changing whereas like if you're a doctor there's only you know men and women <laughs> you kind of know what they are they don't change so you constantly know what you're going to work on but you know as a tech you constantly have to go to school um gm is always sending out updated classes and then bulletins and stuff like that to kind of keep their techs up to date and if you live in the wonderful state of pennsylvania like i do then you have to keep renewing your state inspection and emissions licenses um emissions is bi-yearly biannually and then uh, state inspection has to be renewed about every five years and the rules and regulations surrounding that would make most people's heads spin and some of the stuff that they have you remember is just it seems so nonsensical but, uh, you know, it's kind of what we have to put up with to be able to do our jobs every day. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I didn't actually know the flat rate thing. I guess I kind of maybe knew it in the back of my head. But um, mm -hmm. you mentioned, so you live in Pennsylvania and all these other people went to school with you. Um, so I guess like the question is, 
what are people doing? I mean, you mentioned like gig work or otherwise, or maybe they don't have the discipline, but like, what are young men like actually doing, you know, like in either in your area or your peers or in general, like, what do you think has sort of happened um, with men in general in this country when, you know, it used to be that they would, you know, men would hold up the entire country and they still do, of course, in many ways. Um, but it seems like there's sort of a man, a, a crisis um, in young, with young men. And what, what are they actually doing? Like, are they just, you know, like playing video games and watching porn or are they just like, um, I mean, I don't know. There just seems like there's so many young men that have just like fallen off and, and you don't know exactly what happened to them. So what is that, your perspective on, I guess, sort of the state of, um, you know, men in your, your generation? I think a lot of the men are sedated um, and by some of the things that you had mentioned, maybe video games, pornography, drugs, um, whatever else is kind of keeping them occupied, so to speak. Um, and I think that's not necessarily for entirely bad reasons. I think they see the dating marketplace and realize that kind of the ever evolving global sexual marketplace that we inhabit nowadays, um, where women can see and have access to men all over the world who may have more resources than men in their local sexual marketplace, um, they may not feel exactly motivated to compete. But at the same time, when you realize how many guys aren't willing to put in just a little bit of work to become somebody that really makes, you know, you, if you're someone that's willing to put in a little bit of work, um, really somebody to admire. So um, it, it's kind of like the curve is only a couple inches high and you just have to be willing to step up a little bit. But yeah, I think the guys mostly kind of sedate themselves. They work the gig economy, they get enough to just kind of skate by and they don't want to aspire to anything more. So, you know, they're going to get their check from their stay at home job, which a lot of guys may work now. Um, and, you know, they're going to get enough to pay the mortgage and keep, you know, debt collectors off their back. And then, you know, they're going to go <laughs> buy all the video games on the Steam sale and then sedate themselves, watch porn rather than go outside, go enjoy the presence of other people and become a high value guy, as cringy as some people may think the term is. Um, they don't want to put themselves in the position of, you know, being a high value guy or putting themselves in front of women to a um, potentially be rejected because, you know, with all the sedations that you have, you can basically meet most of your needs, but you'll never get that same int intimacy that you'll have with another person if, you know, all you're doing is sedating yourself constantly. So, you know, I engage in, you know, drinking from time to time and from playing video games, but like, it's not a sedation for me. I still play music. Um, I work out on a consistent basis. I run the podcast. Um, and you know, my wife and I like to travel quite a decent bit. So, you know, just this weekend, we're going to be going to ocean city, Maryland. I'm really, really excited for that. But, um, you know, much rather than guys doing what I'm doing, they're going to just, once again, collect the bare minimum, do the bare minimum. They're going to show up to work, you know, maybe five minutes after eight when they're supposed to be there at eight and they're going to do whatever it takes just to get them just not fired, but they're never going to climb up. They're just going to be comfy right where they're at, and they're going to go home and just, you know, sedate themselves until, uh, you know, the end of time or until, you know, something else drastically changes. Um, it's sad because I think that a lot of guys do have the potential if they just want to put in just a little bit of work to be great people that can help steer this country back in the right direction. But, you know, that's, that requires discipline and it's going to require some rejection on your part as well. Um, it's not going to be easy, but 
in my estimation, I totally think it's worth it, especially as we see less and less people wanting to step up to be those kind of role model people. So, yeah, I think the gig economy is a thing. Gaming, porn, um, all that kind of stuff is just sedating men from becoming better men that um, the women in their locale would look for. Um, and to the women point, you know, like I said, they have access to all, a whole global sexual marketplace. But that doesn't mean that like you know, your local girl at a library or something like that's going to go run away with uh, Chad from Dubai or something like that. Like if you're good enough and she's happy with you, then you'll be fine. But once again, a lot of guys don't want to put themselves in the position of being rejected. They're too scared of that. And then you have so many sedations available to you that like, you don't have to worry about that. Wow. Okay. Um, so then I guess my next question would be, you know, you're, you're married, you mentioned, um, you know, you work out, you, you know, work a physical job that, you know, can be taxing and you also like are a content creator and you do a podcast. I mean, what do you think makes you different then? Like, why were you able to find, you know, a wife? I'm assuming that you had to be rejected by, you know, a lot of women too. And you had to deal with, with that and, you know, and, and overcome those types of things. And you mentioned you had to go to school and, all of the stuff that, you know, you have to do. You, sometimes you have hard days at work where you don't make very much money um, because whatever, there's a difficult problem to work on on a car and it takes you longer than you thought. So what do you think is making, um, you know, you different? Because in a lot of ways, you know, you're pretty much living the American dream. I mean, you have like a good job that's steady, that's in demand. Um, you can, you know, increase your skills. You're married. Um, you know, you're in good shape. Um, you also, you know, or a content creator and you have, you know, a YouTube channel, like, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of guys would want. Um, so what exactly made you different? Was that your family, um, you know, just something inside of you or what exactly is making you different? Well, I appreciate that question. And this may come as a shock to most people. And I don't really talk about this too much because I, I think it kind of leaves the sales open for people to say that you're just looking for pity. But um, growing up, my mom and dad split up when um, I was about five years old and it, things were pretty rough. Um, from the time I was five up until I was 22 when I bought my house, um, I had moved, I want to say, 14 times. And only two of those, two or three of those were me going to college, me moving into a garage apartment, and then me buying my, buying my house. Um, things were very, very hard. I lived with a, a single mom who um, you know, worked 100 plus hours a week. And, you know, at certain points, there were certain things that were going on that, you know, were big issues for her health wise, um, you know, including having cancer three times before I was, I want to say 16 years old and kind of seeing her being able to do that, um, you know, raise to what ability she could, um, my older brother and I and struggling with cancer and working over a hundred hours a week sometimes. Um, <laughs> my thought always was if she can do that as a five, four little Italian woman from, you know, podunk new Kensington. Um, I have no reason that I can't get up every single day, punch the clock and do everything that is afforded to me basically as a luxury. Um, you know, the job that I work, I don't say it's necessarily a luxury, but like I get to go to this job that's now for me 25 miles away. I get to go to the gym and eat well. And I have a beautiful wife. We have our three dogs and a nice house. And, you know, we have three cars between the two of us. And like all this kind of luxury that I've, I've afforded for us, um, 
there's just no excuse I ever thought for uh, me to kind of be lazy or be a bum when, you know, there are people out there like my mom who overcame cancer multiple, multiple times and just continued to get their ass handed to them. But just despite all odds, continue to kick ass. Um, in my mind, there's no excuse for anybody who is in my kind of condition. Um, now, I understand there's definitely struggles for other people, but I just in my mind, I never found an excuse. I never thought that there would ever be a reason for me to say, ah, I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. And one of the things I heard years and years ago, and it's kind of always stuck with me was, um, if you say, I don't have time for that, change that to, it's not a priority. And if that bothers you, then you know, you have a problem. So, um, when there's things that I know that need done or that I need to do, I usually have to phrase it as it's not a priority for me right now. And that I know that's going to drive me nuts and know that I need to improve upon that. So, um, when it came to like exercise and stuff like that, it was just, I saw what my family had been through. Um, you know, I lost all my grandparents before I was 17 years old. The ones on my mom's side were gone before I was even born. Um, and then my dad's parents had passed away before I was 17 years old. So, um, I was determined that, for me, if I want to be, you know, kind of live the set American dream and set things right, at least for my family, then I need to be the healthiest and happiest dude I could possibly be. And I think a lot of that does revolve around exercise. And especially when I kind of got my health and nutrition right, I realized just how important that is. I mean, it's easy to dust off when you're not into it, but, you know, when you're overweight and you're struggling mentally, you don't really realize how much of that does come down to just getting healthy and changing your mind about yourself. And I really think that's kind of what was required of me to, to put myself in the situation that I am right now. And I'm beyond blessed, but I also understand that it took a lot of discipline, a lot of work to get to where I am today. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, um, so do you want to have kids? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think, uh, I mean, if you have like a boy or I mean, whatever, I guess it could be a woman, but do you think they'll be mm. the fifth generation uh, auto technician or do you think they'll keep going? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like every generation probably says this and I'm sure my dad didn't necessarily say this, but um, I, I don't think I would want my son or daughter to go be an automotive technician. Um <sighs> I see the way that my dad is with his business and he's done very, very well for himself, but I just think it's not going to be feasible. And once again, I'm sure that generations before me said the same thing, but uh, we are getting to the point where every single manufacturer is so individualized. Um, you know, everybody loves to say a car is a car or, you know, all bolts come out the same way or all, all car hoods open from the front. But uh, that's really I, I, I don't think that's quite as true as it once used to be. Um, all manufacturers have special tools and then they have special scan tools for how you interact with each computer um, in the vehicle. Uh, you know, all the hybrid stuff is going to be completely different as well. And the difference with hybrids versus just like a gasoline engine is that if you mess up on a hybrid, you die. There is no like, oh, you know, this burns or I got a little hurt. It, it is death. You will die if you do not properly disable a hybrid battery. So it, it sounds terrifying, but I mean, that's honest to God what people deal with. I mean, when I was in school and we were learning about hybrids, um, they always said, you know, put cones up. And of course, that attracts everybody over there because they want to 
see what you know what the cones are there for. But uh, always keep like a broom or something around the person working on a hybrid vehicle because if they get shocked and you touch them, then you'll get shocked too. So if you see somebody getting shocked, then use a broom to you know shove them off the battery or something like that. Um, and you know with the regulations around that, you have to check the gloves every time you use them, and then get a new pair. I think it's every six months. So if they're obviously if there's any holes in them, then you have to replace them as well. But uh, there's like a pair of rubber gloves that you put underneath a pair of like leather gloves to work on these batteries. So, I mean, it's, it's very, very complicated, very, very complex. And I mean, even now they have vehicles with like lighting control modules. So there's a computer that's responsible for monitoring all of like your vehicle's light functions. Um, there's brake pad monitors where you have little sensors on top of the brake pads to tell you what your brake pad life percentage is. Um, and a lot of this stuff can only be reset via like a general motor scan tool. If you're working on a general motors vehicle or like a certain European manufacturer now, like snap on, which is kind of like the most popular tool brand out there. They have like their own computers for this kind of stuff, but you know, whenever you have to replace a module or something like that. So like, let's say a car comes in for an engine control module, which is responsible for all electrical functions of the engine. If that's bad on it, then you need the GM software and the GM tool to uh, reprogram that and then get the vehicle running again, if that's the problem with it. So um, like I said, I think they've probably said this for generations now, but we probably are getting very, very close to the point that like, it's just not feasible for mom and pop shops anymore. And that kind of breaks my heart because I don't want to see, um, you know, family business like my dad's be gone and not come back. But I mean, that's going to be more of a, like a novelty thing where, you know, you're going to have maybe a small family shop that works on old hot rods. And my dad does stuff like that too. I mean, it just uh, there was a Facebook memory of mine that came up uh, about a week or two ago of uh, one of his customers, 1973 Camaro, and I remember being blown away by it, seeing it for the first time. But uh, you know, those cars are going to eventually go away. But um, you know, you're going to have mom and pop shops that can probably work on that because people don't take those to dealers anymore, just because they're not equipped to deal with them. But uh, yeah, I just don't think the mom and pop shops are going to. Pro- this space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. For, for much longer. And like I said, it's, it's very, very sad because all the shop on, owners I know are very, very honest, good people. I mean, even my bass player, my band owns a uh, automotive shop as well. And, you know, he's, you know, a phenomenal guy. And, uh, you know, he, I think they kind of see the writing on the wall because you have to spend sometimes, I'm not even joking, like millions of dollars on tools. Like for me alone, I probably have about $50,000 worth of tools <laughs> between my toolboxes. So, you know, just imagine being an independent shop where you have all this electrical equipment, you have to specify or you have to have special tools for all the manufacturers. I mean, it's just so much money. So for someone that would want to kind of go into that, that's just a very, very steep hill to climb. And for a lot of people, I think they're going to look at that and say, the cost ain't worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what was it going to be robots, do you think? Or how, I mean, no, no, no. You know, people get terrified of the AI stuff. Um, one story that I always tell that kind of, I hope, cools people off when it comes to um, artificial intelligence and vehicles. Um, back in 2017, I want to say it was, um, I was working at a dealership in Monroeville, and I remember a autonomous Escalade. And for those people who don't know what an autonomous vehicle is, it's basically a self driving vehicle, um, came into the dealer, and I was told that I had to work on it. And they said that the vehicle was shutting off in 
intermittently. I remember looking under the hood of this vehicle and there were wires everywhere. And once again, this is supposed to be an autonomous Cadillac. And every single panel, the fenders, the bumper, the rear bumper, the you name it. There wasn't a single panel on that vehicle that wasn't dented, scratched, banged up. So I'm like, oh, we're nowhere near. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Um, capable enough. Okay, so if that's not enough for people to kind of you know, stop thinking about like Skynet coming down and the vehicle steering you off the road into a cliff or something like that. Um, we have um, in the newer GM, like Yukons and the Escalades, which these vehicles are so ridiculously priced. I mean, some of them are going for like, if you get a Escalade V, I think it is, it's $153,000. Um, some of these vehicles have the feature called Super Cruise, which is basically an autonomous version of the vehicle, where all you would have to do is basically just let the vehicle drive itself. Um, and to kind of get to maybe give some credit to the people who are terrified about AI, there is a camera on top of the steering column that's watching you at all times whenever you engage this feature. Um, now, there is a highway right beside my work on a road called Route 30. Now, obviously, this is like a main highway. Um, they don't have like a big share of this highway mapped. It's 2023 and you usually have to go maybe a couple miles <laughs> till the thing finally picks up and then we'll start driving itself. Um, we're just nowhere near the point of um, autonomous vehicles really being viable. Uh, they're just, there's so much to work out. And then on top of that, when you think about who's going to be liable if something messes up, is it going to be the insurance company? Is it going to be the vehicle manufacturer? Is it going to be the driver in the vehicle? Um, there's so many variables, and I don't think they're ever going to be able to figure out 
how to kind of nail all this stuff down. So the best you may get is going to be kind of like what GM offers right now is that super cruise where um, basically they have cameras in the mirrors and at the top of the windshield that monitor the lines on the road. And, you know, there's also um, sound sensors and a bumper that basically they kind of communicate the way the bats do. So like it projects a uh, noise and then it waits to see how long until that noise comes back to it to tell you how far away you are from something. Um, it's going to be stuff like that that just kind of makes a vehicle a little bit more autonomous, but I don't think they're ever going to get rid of the driver in the vehicle just because there'd be so many gray areas. And when people start dying from autonomous vehicles, um, you know, people are going to want somebody's ass for that. And, you know, when, when you can't decide if it's the vehicle's fault, if it's the mechanic's fault because he didn't inspect something or if it's the road's fault. Um, I, like I said, I just think there's too many variables and, they're they're just going to need somebody in the vehicle at all times. So um, when it comes to like fixing cars, I, I don't think you're ever going to need a robot that's going to be smart enough to figure out, you know, to pull apart a vehicle like I do right now and find a broken wire and a wire loom. Um, there's just so many intricacies and things that are very, very complicated that I don't think you're going to get AI to do. Um, I understand the people's want to kind of freak out about this, but, uh, you know, everybody be calm. I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Don't tell Elon about the first part because he thinks we're a lot closer than that. But um, yeah, the second part, <laughs> um, I definitely would agree because, I mean, yeah, it's very difficult to have a robot electrician or a robot plumber or you know all of these blue collar jobs um you know but then the question becomes well like well okay well who's going to do them then if nobody wants to do them and then even people like yourself who are you know fourth generation in some of these fields are like eh don't do it to like their kids <laughs> then uh -huh. it's sort of like well who's going to do um this work and i mean in a way i mean it gives a great opportunity for people that are willing um to do that and you know they're going to have uh, a lot of demand for their jobs i mean my wife's an electrician apprentice and you know it, it's it's interesting to see um you know some of the stuff that that they're doing that can't be replaced and can't be automated so mm -hmm. um yeah um no go ahead yeah, so um, kind of to that point as well, uh, I think the whole flat rate kind of system is going to have to go away because um, how complicated vehicles are now, as I mentioned earlier, there you have so many different control modules for so many different vehicles. Um, in order to diagnose stuff, it takes a lot of time. And I think with what they're seeing now, um, you're going to have to start ponying up to pay technicians and give them the incentive to start coming to work <laughs> rather than just assuming that you could tell them, ah, well, you know, we'll start you off at like 15 bucks an hour to work on a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. Oh, and by the way, if you mess something up, we're going to absolutely ream you out. And if you continue to mess stuff up, you know, as a new technician, then, you know, we'll fire you or you're going to have to take days without pay. Um, I think you're going to have to start well, the automotive manufacturers and like dealership owners are going to have to start paying people like a salary or give them some kind of like commission base. So that way you're not in the situation of, okay, well, I worked a hundred hours this pay and I'm coming home with 50 hours, but I fixed all these complicated wiring nightmares. Um, you know, what's my incentive to keep doing this if I'm going to constantly just get scraps while I'm just completely destroying my body. And I mean, I see this all the time, you know, my dad at one point had stress fractures and, you know, bad knees, bad back and stuff like that but i'm um, you know he's starting to improve his health which i'm very very grateful for but i mean i've one story that always comes to mind is uh i had a uh, parts guy at the last shop i was at and he worked there ever since he was 17 years old and he retired i think it it's 60 
And not even six months after he retired, he dropped dead. Healthy as could be and just done. And he was a parts guy. But um, another guy that kind of comes to mind was a uh, one of the instructors for uh, General Motors that was out in Ohio. And, uh, you know, he had fixed cars for like 20 years and he was instructor for about 15 years and then dropped out of heart attack at, you know, like 53 years old. And, you know, his shoulders were bad. His back was blown out. So, I mean, this is pretty common as guys start to get older. I mean, this job, unfortunately, kind of destroys your body. And, uh, you know, being paid flat rate in one sense is very capitalist because, you know, the harder you work and the better you are at the job, then the more you can get paid. But at the same time, when you start working at like a dealership like I work at, when you have to deal with warranty vehicles where they only allot you a very, very finite amount of time to get stuff done and get paid for that, um, you know, it's very, very hard to tell people like, hey, <laughs> you know, I understand it took you six hours to find this one issue, but we can only pay you an hour and a half to fix that issue. Um, you can kind of see where the problem starts to develop there, where you're going to have to start where you tell people, essentially, I understand you completely got your ass handed you on this job. Um, you're just going to have to eat it. And that's it. Um, and, you know, not only that, these jobs, being a tech, you don't get a pension. Um, the benefits are like, okay, but, you know, you could go be, I don't know, a union worker or something like that and get way better benefits for probably better pay. And you don't have to buy your own tools. And, uh, you know, you, you're probably going to be a little less broken by the time you're 40 years old. Um, I plan to beat all that by, you know, being a huge fitness advocate like I am, but, uh, you know, I think the bell tolls for us, for us all eventually. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, let's get into that then. Um, cause I know you have a podcast and, um, you know, you are a fitness advocate. I've watched a little bit of your stuff. I, I saw some stuff around, um, seemed like you were trying to help, um, you know, men and, you know, give your perspective on, um, mm -hmm. you know, some male issues and some different things there, but I know you also go into fitness. Um, so maybe you could tell us about why you started this podcast. I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're a hard worker, you're, you're busy. I'm sure you have, you know, music is something you do as well. You're in a band. Um, what kind of made you want to also, you know, be a content creator and start this podcast and what are you trying to do with it? Um, well, when I saw the lockdowns kind of come around in 2020, I wanted to speak out about it. And I did to the you know group of friends that I had on uh, Facebook and everything else. But uh, it took about a year and I had all the stuff kind of ready to go for quite a bit. And then one day I was just like, all right, I'm going to schedule somebody to interview and I'm just not going to stop. <laughs> uh, that was October of uh, 2021. I really haven't stopped since. But uh, I noticed that there wasn't really any people in like the liberty sphere pushing for health as much as i am now like i know there's some fitness people like sal de stefano from uh, mind pump um he's a pretty big libertarian but i really didn't see any libertarians out there promoting the health message because i really do believe that they're very very intrinsically linked as in um you know if you're not healthy you're not going to be able you're not necessarily fully autonomous person you're not going to have you know the full amount of liberty that you could have if you're healthy and robust and living you know to what i think is your birthright and that's you know the greatest health that you can possibly achieve so i didn't see that out there so i decided well i'll step in and fill that gap to the best of my ability so um yeah, I also kind of had a little bit of a health journey when I met my wife because um, she has a gluten allergy. She has celiacs. So um, I remember her saying that, and that was the first kind of seed in my mind 
that said like, oh, well, health might be a like what you put in your body may actually have an effect on how you feel and, you know, what you weigh and all that, which I know sounds ridiculous to anybody with like half a brain, but I just never thought about it until then. I was about 23 years old. So I also dealt with like a lot of, I don't want to say depression, but mood swings, digestive issues and suicidal ideation, even at some points throughout my teenage years and early twenties. And, uh, I, I did the carnivore diet and I don't recommend that people do this just because it's so restrictive. And my experience with it was that I ended up binging a lot, but I did the carnivore diet for about two years and I lost 70 pounds and a lot of my um, issues had kind of cleared up. Now to kind of put a little caveat on that, I believe if I would have just dieted like a normal person and just, you know, figured out something that works more for me, kind of like what I eat now, a more flexible approach. And I think all these issues would have solved themselves anyways. Um, because like, I think a lot of the literature actually bears out that, um, a lot of the benefits you get from a quote unquote diet come from the weight loss. Like I think it's 80% of that is just from the weight loss itself. So uh, I did the carnivore diet. I lost 70 pounds and I felt just, it, it was a night and day difference. It was absolutely amazing to me. Just the difference that it made of losing that weight and no longer thinking, having suicidal ideation day in, day out. And it wasn't like I would ever do anything about it, but it's, I'm sure some people could relate where it almost feels like you always just have like a black cloud over your head and bad thoughts would enter your mind. And it would, you know, just little bits and pieces and little down swings throughout the day. And all that's gone now and has been for ever since I lost all the weight. So I've been off the carnivore diet for about two years. And, um, really what started to pull me out of it was just realizing that like, Hey, I'd be good for a week or two. And then I would just binge relentlessly. If you put cheesecake, ice cream, you name the junk food in front of me, I would just gorge on it and I'd feel horrible. I I feel like a failure. So, um, part of the reason for starting the podcast is that I didn't want people to fall into the same trap that I fell in, in this respect, where I really wanted to take away all the dogma from food and nutrition and just kind of put out information and tools to help people, you know, live better lives. So, you know, my, my podcast isn't about, you know, telling people that you have to be a, you know, anarcho-capitalist libertarian that's jacked and tan, deadlifting five or 600 pounds and only cares about men's issues. I want to put information out there that will allow you to do with it what you will. So if your decision is, Hey, maybe I do want to go carnivore or low carb and, um, you know, I'll just do some cardio and resistance training twice a week with this information that I've been given. Um, then that's perfectly okay by me, but I just want to arm people with information, not dogma or talking points. I want to give them the facts and my experiences to hopefully help them, um, live better lives. If, you know, my experience can give them the knowledge of doing that. So, um, you know, I fell for every single nutritional dogma or dogmatic talking point that you could possibly imagine the seed oils, artificial sweeteners, carbs fell for all of it. But now, um, you know, through rigorous research and, being proven wrong time after time after time, I really realized that like, oh, well, a lot of these diet zealots, a lot of the keto guys or people who are telling you that this food is killing you or, you know, this food is causing you inflammation. A lot of these guys are full of crap and they're just trying to sell you their diet book. Um, the truth is, is that as long as you don't eat way too much and, you know, you're, you're getting in a little bit of physical activity, you're trying to increase your fiber intake, your um, protein intake is, you know, sufficient for you. And like I said, you just don't eat way too much or way too little. You're probably going to be okay. Um, 
you know, if you want to start getting into micronutrients and stuff like that, that's just like the icing on the cake or supplements, same deal. Um, all that stuff is just supplemental to your diet and to your lifestyle. But you know, the vast majority of it is just don't be an asshole about your diet. <laughs> Generally, you'll get to be pretty healthy. And, you know, even if you do miss a meal or, you know, you eat too much in one meal or, you know, you go out for a night of drinks and have, you know, pleasant dinner and ice cream with a loved one. Um, not all is lost. You're fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're a good person still. Um, just realize that, hey, this is off the plan. Um, I may gain a little bit of weight. Maybe there'll be a little bloat or maybe my digestion won't be right. But, you know, you're one meal off the plan and then you're one meal back on the plan. So um, I just really hope with the podcast I could put people's mind at ease when it comes to nutrition and just remove all the complication and dogma from it and just let people realize like food doesn't have to be a moral thing. Like this can be something that you still enjoy and still do. And I guess the other part of the podcast is libertarianism. Um, not that I don't, I talk about both pretty frequently, but uh, the nutrition stuff is definitely a huge deal for me just because it's very, very um, confusing for a lot of people. And I feel like if I had the message that I'm preaching now, um, then it would have helped me out a lot. And I hope that I provide the same thing for people as well as, you know, good knowledge about libertarian topics or foreign policy, men's issues, and maybe even occasionally automotive stuff. Um, so I really don't leave anything off the table, but most of the time it is like foreign policy, libertarianism, and health. Nice, nice. No, I think that's mm -hmm. definitely a positive, um, you know, direction for sure. And I mean, I agree, you can't be fully free and like you know if you're not you don't feel good i mean it's like you know everything um you know it's i forget what the quote is but it's like you know uh, everything seems you know so important until you're sick basically it's something like that so it's mm -hmm. like so if you're actually sick and you're actually dying and nothing else matters you know like and that that's really what it comes down to so we can argue on the internet if we want but you know the second you know your life is on the line you know things get real um you know, I think that we're having, obviously, we have a health crisis in America. I don't think that's, you know, news for anybody. I mean, we have, you know, everybody's, everybody's like overweight or obese, it seems like, you know, it's, it's everybody has some kind of health issue. Everybody's on some kind of pill, um, it seems. Um, and then, of course, we have a mental health crisis as well. I mean, they hand out antidepressants like candy um, these days. It's, you know, it's every, you know, every, um, you know, mass shooter is on, you know, SSRIs or, or something similar. Um, so, you know, we talked a bit about like the young men crisis earlier and, you know, you had some, some of your ideas there, I guess, um, you know, if somebody was feeling, like you said, suicidal ideations or they were feeling depressed or, you know, they feel worthless or they just feel not motivated or lonely, all these different things. Um, I mean, I'm sure you would recommend fitness in some way. I mean, I guess, mm -hmm. um, do you, how do you see kind of the balance between, um, you know, exercise and nutrition? Like is, you know, if somebody was like, oh, okay, I just, I'm fat. So I just want to lose weight. Um, I'm just going to like work on my nutrition, not worry so much about the exercise, but you know, what if they're like mentally like unhealthy and they're not, they're not fat necessarily, but they feel mentally unhealthy. Um, would you say like maybe exercise might help them more mentally? Um, how do you sort of like look at that balance? Like, is it more nutrition um, or more exercise, a little bit of both? Or what would you, what's your perspective on that? My perspective would definitely be that uh, 
we want to start with whatever the person can comply with the easiest. Um, now, obviously, if anybody has like any severe mental issues or severe, you know, nutritional issues, then go consult a doctor because I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a doctor of cars. I'm not a doctor of people. But that being said, um, the reason why I try to destigmatize all food and like do away with talking points about nutrition is because I want to make the barrier to better health as low as possible. Um, I've put out a couple podcasts talking about like different um, workout splits and stuff like that and uh, kind of how to level those up from maybe doing like a two day week full body routine to maybe like four days where you do like an upper lower, upper lower kind of split. And then maybe even go to six days a week if that's something that people want to do, or you could just do like three days a week, full body, um, stuff like that. Um, if someone's willing to get into the gym, then great. But you know, if the, you know, if for you, your step to better health is maybe just taking a walk around the block, then by all means, you know, if that gets you out of the house and that gets you just one step better, I'm all for it. Um, if maybe the change for you is going from drinking six regular Mountain Dews a day to drinking three diets and then three regulars, then I'm all for it. Um, if a good change for you maybe is something as severe as, let's say, a low-carb diet where all you're eating is meat and greens, then you know I'm for that too if you think that's going to be sustainable and going to work for you. Um, the problem is that a lot of fitness influencers say that their way is the only way, and the fact is that we're all different. Um, we're all going to enjoy and adhere to different things, and uh, Stan Efforting is somebody that I really, really like and really, really, really look up to in the fitness industry, and he always says that compliance is a science and that's absolutely true um all diets do work when strictly adhered to so um whatever for that individual person is um the easiest step to better health if it's just you know going for a walk every morning i'm all for it um you know maybe if you're already doing that and your nutrition's a little bit better then okay well maybe we should change up the way that you train maybe we should add like a little bit more intensity so i almost look at these things on like some dials so like you have your training intensity on one dial you have your nutrition on another dial and then you have your lifestyle on another so like if you're training and your intensity you're training are way up then maybe you should crank down the lifestyle stuff and just kind of chill everywhere else. And then maybe it's time to, you know, let's say you got something coming up like a wedding or something important in your life that you need to be prepared for. Then maybe it's time to dial back the training. Maybe you go to the gym two or three times a week instead of like five or six. And then you just focus on your life. Um, I think it's important that people adhere to whatever they're going to do. But once again, this is going to be something that each individual person is going to have to find for themselves to work for them. So, you know, at one point for me, I felt the best thing for me was a carnivore diet. But now I find that doing a little bit more of a flexible approach of dieting where I pretty much have whatever I want, but I just budget it within my daily caloric needs. Um, that works for me a whole lot better. And I don't find myself binging or anything like that as much as I was when I was on a carnivore diet. But, you know, maybe for some people, they have to have hard rules around food. I personally try to advise against that just because um, there have been plenty of studies out there that show that people get a real big disinhibition response, where basically as soon as they make hard rules around food, then as soon as they're broken, then they do tend to binge. And the reason why I bring this up, binging in particular so much, is because um, what nobody really knows is that uh, eating disorders are actually the most deadly mental disorder out there. Um, and the stats on this are pretty devastating, as in one in five people with an eating disorder will die directly from that eating disorder. And a lot of stuff does kind of come from people who make hard rules around food. So um, 
yeah, that's like I said, I really aim to destigmatize food. So I would like to see somebody if they're just trying to get started. Hey, let's maybe start with a little bit of walking. Um, if you're willing to do body weight exercises, then hey, let's do that. If you want to go to the gym, perfect. Maybe do a full body routine two times a week and then maybe take your dogs for a walk a couple times, um, you know, throughout the day or throughout the week or just go for a walk around the block, go for a walk to get your mail or something like that. Anything to just kind of get you up and moving and especially like getting outside. Um, for me, I found that's been an absolute game changer every morning I'm up at 4.30 and then usually by about five, maybe quarter after five, I'm already outside walking my dogs. And I find that really starts my day off on the right foot every single time. It's usually about like a mile and a half to maybe two or three miles every single morning with my dogs. And that just really sets my day forward right. So um, yeah, whatever really makes people just one step better into um, you know getting into better health, I think is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, walking is something that's, you know, if you're able to, it's, it's probably the best thing that you could do for your mental um, and physical health is to really just get out and walk out ideally. But if you can't get out, you know, a treadmill, um, you know, whatever, just um, walking mm -hmm. um, is so meditative. Um, there's not only the health benefits, but I think just the mental benefits of just walking you know being alone with your thoughts and you know having that consistent movement and just like walking for at least half an hour i don't know i've come up with some of my best ideas after walks and just felt less anxiety and like clarity in general so i definitely recommend that um mm -hmm. and uh it's about this time when i'd like to invite anybody that does have any questions um for kyle feel free um to you know request to be a speaker we just have a few more moments and also i want to um, shout out my pinned um, tweet at the top if you would like to be a guest um, on my show if you have a perspective that you think needs to be heard um, please do fill out that form or for mutuals you can just dm me um, or if you know somebody um, that would like to share their perspective i'm just looking for really any unheard perspective so today we did uh, blue collar workers with um, kyle who is a fourth generation auto technician. Um, he also has a podcast. He's also in a band um, and he's also a fitness enthusiast, which you've heard um, from um, recently. So if anybody does have any questions for Kyle or me, let me know. Um, after this space, I do a um, space for paid subscribers where I just kind of share my own thoughts and we go back and forth a little bit. So um, if you're a subscriber, please jump in. And if you'd like to subscribe, please do. Um, but yeah, I just want to uh, leave it to you, Kyle, here, um, actually, and um, anything that you want to share, you know, the floor is pretty much yours, unless I have um, somebody that, you know, requests to speak or ask you a question, but um, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to touch on, or where can people find you? Um, really, like, anything that you want to share um, in the last five or ten minutes here, and um, we can just kind of um, riff. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, as you said earlier, my name is Tom Matovic. Um, you can find my band, A Common Crown, at acommoncrown.com. Uh, my podcast is called In Liberty and Health um, on all major streaming platforms. I go live on YouTube usually twice a week. Um, I'll be having a show tomorrow and Thursday, and I think uh, people are really, really going to enjoy these if you're into kind of like the libertarian or maybe even like Republican kind of stuff. Um, and I also recently launched a podcast with the guys from Biting the Bullet and uh, Adam Nutter and Samuel Urban from Illegitimate Scholar and uh, the Porcupine podcast called Five Till Midnight. It's going to be a weekly podcast that we do on um, 
every Monday at 8 p.m. Uh, this following Monday, we'll probably rerun the first episode that we recorded on all our own individual channels. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much everywhere you can find me. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, but I'm most active here on Twitter. So yeah, I would uh, love if people followed me. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a pretty open book, so I'm always available to talk to people. And I uh, help people nutrition-wise for free at all times. I never charge people for anything. I've thought about it, but uh, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. I kind of like being the guy that can you know be relied upon and be a, a reliable source of uh, health and uh, nutrition information for people. And uh, you know, to get messages from people saying that they've lost fifty or sixty pounds because of the information I've given them. I mean, it just it, it absolutely makes everything I do worth it beyond shadow of a doubt. That's amazing. Um, I do want to give um, Adam a chance. I think maybe he has a question. He came up and requested to speak. So Adam, um, feel free um, if you have a question for Kyle or otherwise. Hey, Kyle, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. But uh, I did have a quick question. One of my best friends is a mechanic and he has like eight cars. So how difficult is it to be a mechanic that only has three cars? Uh, you know, I'm not really that much of like a car guy himself. Uh, I, you know, obviously I do more lifting and, uh, music work than anything else. I do have an 84 Monte Carlo, which is kind of like my, you know, prized possession I've had since I was 17 years old. And, uh, I, like the GM cars are kind of my thing. I know a lot of mechanics are that way. I just, I'm not that guy. I do have a, a lot of garage space. I think some of that was partially because my dad is a really, really big car nut. Um, he has a 2000 Corvette, which is the last one my grandfather owned, a 84 Corvette, which was the last one that my great uncle had owned. Um, and that one only has like 1700 miles on it. A 75 CJ5, a 2008 Cobalt SS, a 57 Bel Air, and a 1979 Blazer. So um, some of those are at my house because I have uh, quite a bit of garage space. But, um, you know, if I, my dream vehicle would be like a 1969 Corvette. But uh, other than that, I would love like a Polaris slingshot. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, a defective mechanic. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I, I don't have all the room in the world for uh, all the toys and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, financially, my interests are somewhere or, or other places because uh, cars can be very, very expensive. I mean, I'm sure you know. <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear that you, you know, it sounds like you want to travel and have kids and, you know, maybe not have eight, eight vehicles. <laughs> but, <laughs> Only maybe like five. Yeah. And plus you have to have $50,000 tools or whatever, you know, so that's like a whole car mm -hmm. there. I mean, you know, for your, mm -hmm. just to do your job. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, it's been great to hear from you, Kyle. I do suggest everybody in here um, follow Kyle, um, not only here on X, um, but also on YouTube. And sounds like he's quite prolific and has a lot of um, podcasts coming up. So please do keep up with him if you're into uh, liberty, if you're into fitness, if you, um, you know, want to hear from um, someone who, you know, had not the kindest um, childhood it sounds like but still built um, you know a nice life for himself and which is you know I think the American dream um, something we should all aspire to is to use whatever you know happened to us um, in the past as fuel um, for whoever we want to become um, in the future and Kyle is an excellent example I believe of you know somebody who didn't have every you know every 
privilege, if you want to use that word, um, in front of him, um, but still, you know, decided to um, get fit, still decided to finish his, you know, education and have a trade and still decided to, you know, find find a wife, um, you know, and is going to have kids. So I appreciate hearing um, these real American perspectives. And it's been awesome getting to hear from you. So again, um, please do follow Kyle. Um, I'm going to take a few moments break and then jump into uh, my subscriber only space. Um, if you're a subscriber, please join. Um, I'm going to share some of my thoughts and we can go back and forth in a bit more detail about the conversation today or whatever you'd like. Um, and yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. But um, Kyle, um, thank you so much for sharing your perspective today. It's been great hearing from you. Thanks everybody for listening in. This has been Unheard Perspectives, episode three. And Kyle, I'll let you have any last words if you want. If you want to give a shout out to anything, um, feel free and we'll end it at that. Uh, thank you so much, Heidi. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, check out the podcast, uh, Five Till Midnight in Liberty and Health, uh, my band, The Common Crown. And uh, I'll hopefully have another project here soon with another band. So I know I got my hands full, but I uh, check all that stuff out. And um, yeah, I really, really appreciate the uh, time and uh, everybody listening. And hopefully uh, my perspective, the podcast and everything else can help you guys out. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.